Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome back to the DMZ, everybody. You dressed up today. You got your you got your big boy uh, blazer on. Well, a couple things there. First of all, uh, it was my birthday this this week, and I had lunch with mom yesterday, and she got me a new shirt, which I like a lot. I'm just afraid it washes out a little bit with this background. So I put on the blazer. But the good news, Bill, is it's like it's been in the 50s at night, uh, in mm-hmm. the mornings even. So it's it's cool here uh, in West Virginia. And uh, so it is blazer season, my friend. Pretty soon you'll be seeing some sweaters. Uh, I think you're burying the lead here. You you, you met with mom. What's the, what's the temperature? What's the political temperature on mom in Pennsylvania? <laughs> Well, as you know, uh, I think I told you a few weeks ago I had lunch with her uh, and she told me, I hope I'm not breaking any confidences here. She, you ought to know uh, that, was it Joan Didion who said that, that that writers just sell you out all the time? Something, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but um, mom, mom is, is in Pennsylvania and, and she's not supporting any of the Republicans in Pennsylvania. Wow. Um, she, uh, last time I talked to her, she seemed to be uh, into Shapiro, is it Shapiro running yeah. for the Democrat? Uh, seem to be planning to vote for him. Uh, I'm thinking she may sit out the Senate race, but was definitely voting Shapiro. Now I have to confess, um, lunch yesterday we sat outside, beautiful day, and thankfully did not did not talk politics. <laughs> so I, I can't I can't say okay. where no, no, nothing make, fresh, nothing fresh. I mean, it's possible that you know. What happened in 2016 is that Dinesh D'Souza put out a movie that she went to see and she she voted for Trump. So, you know, <laughs> she, she hasn't seen 2000 Mules like she, she's, she's totally think. off. The, so you never the know. But I, I have to say that um, I've been very proud of 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 her. So, uh, you, you, you know, tell that Shapiro is an abortionist. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't know much about Shapiro. He, he's an abortionist. He's, he's, he's not literally an abortionist. Okay. He's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. You know, he's good. Yeah. He's, he's going to uphold abortion rights in Pennsylvania. Well, I mean, that's why I can't and don't generally vote for Democrats. And like, that's why I, um, didn't vote for Hillary or Biden in the general election. Um, but there is an argument that, that says that, uh, Hey, um, liberal democracies at stake. And we got to save that before we can worry about anything else. And besides, Roe has been overturned, as you know. And so maybe it's less on top of mind. And Well, it is top of mind in the political realm. We're going to talk about it today. But in terms of making a calculation on uh, the federal races, then maybe it's not as significant. The gubernatorial races, like with Shapiro, I guess it would be very relevant. Sure. Um, well, since we're talking about abortion, you know, the big abortion news this week is Lindsey Graham's 15-week abortion ban bill. Now, Matt, you, I mean, you are, tell me if I'm characterizing you correctly here. You're at, you're simultaneously devoutly pro-life, but with a pragmatic bet. You will, you would take I think almost any sort of compromise if it was going to reduce the number of abortions in some way, correct? That's right. And I also think that 15 weeks is something that if you had told me a year ago that we could get to that, that it would be a 15 week ban, I would have been very happy with that. And, And not only that, Bill, but I think that's a mainstream popular position. So 
pro-lifers in that case would be saving millions of lives and also be in a position of supporting something that would not likely evoke much of a backlash. I mean, there'd be a backlash from the, you know, pro-choice activist community, of course, but I'm talking about from just mainstream America. Um, and so that is something. And I, look, I think that's what John Roberts was thinking when he kind of wanted to uh, uphold Dobbs, um, but, you know, but but not overturn Roe. Um, but I think the problem that Roberts had is that, first of all, um, Roe was just a, I think, a badly decided, you know, law or decision. Um, and the other problem is that if the court had not, if, so if the court had upheld Dobbs, a 15 week, a 15 week ban, they would not have established any sort of, of rule, right? So then what happened, some, some other state would try 14 weeks and uh, 13 weeks. And so the court would be just continually inundated uh, with these test cases until they would have at some point, <laughs> the court would have had to have defined when life begins, right? And mm -hmm. so that is obviously beyond their the scope of their uh, <laughs> of their expertise. So anyway, it, it, it's a mess. And Lindsey Graham, I think, uh, didn't did himself and did the Republican Party no favors this week, even though I do think 15 weeks, like, for example, in Florida, DeSantis as just sticking with the 15 week ban. I think that is the, a, a good position and a popular position, uh, but that's different than what Lindsey Graham did by you well, know, well, so kicking, I, I, this, kicking over this hornet's nest. So I'm a little, I'm a little confused. So president Matt Lewis signs a 15 week abortion ban. Senator Matt Lewis votes for 15 week abortion ban. Why did Lindsey Graham make a political mistake in introducing a 15 week abortion ban? Well, I think there's a couple things here. First, I, just because I think 15 weeks is a would be 15 weeks would be a, a dramatic improvement, um, certainly for some states. And also, it is a politically popular position. But obviously, uh, there I, are, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to pause you there because we do have a poll from The Wall Street Journal that came out uh, a week or so ago that tested 15 weeks and came out with 57% against. Oh, really? You know, there's, okay. There's, there's other polling you know, yeah. pre-Dobbs yeah. where 15 weeks was more popular. Now we have, now you can say, well, it's just one poll, but it is a sort of open question. How firm was that 15 week position? And uh, do people's perspectives have a change now that you're in a post-Dobbs world? Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all if because of Dobbs, there is the, the backlash has included the 15-week position. Um, so I, to your point, though, um, and I'm not and I'm not being terribly eloquent about this because I haven't really had time. I'm, I may write about it today. We'll see. Um, and, and then hopefully that will clarify my thinking. But just a few things. So number one, Lindsey Graham had previously said um, that the best thing to do would be to overturn Roe and the states will be like laboratories of democracy, like let let local governments and local officials decide the best policy for them, um, which is a totally, I think, under normal conditions would be like a, a totally reasonable thing to say. I think the problem is that because um, the Republican parties have kind of radicalized in, in the states and have gotten really weird that you're having 
um, a lot of examples of states who are getting rid of exceptions, even for like rape, incest, life of the mother, things like that. And um, but the point is, Lindsey Graham is now contradicting himself. And uh, so obviously that's one problem. So, other- so you, you, you mean he's contradicting himself because he's not leaving it to the states. He's, he's asking for a federal state. Absolutely. Yeah, that's precisely right. He, he was in favor of overturning Roe and saying that it would be better for the states to decide and now he's saying we need a one size fits all across the board. Actually, though, correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. My understanding is that Lindsey Graham's idea would not prohibit it would not prohibit states from having fewer tougher bands. Right. right. He's, he's 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 setting a floor. Yeah. So um, I think if you were going to push for the 15 week ban, um that the way to do it would be to do it in a bipartisan fashion. Now, look, it, it may very well be that Democrats <laughs> are in no mood right now to uh, to compromise. Your but assumption. There are there are states, um, there are states where the ban is much stricter than 15 weeks, and there are states where the ban is much more liberal than 15 weeks. And so, p- potentially, you could craft a compromise where that is going to be a, a federal policy, 15 weeks with exceptions, um, and that you could have a reasonable abortion policy in America that would be a vast improvement for pro-lifers over where we have been until recently for the last, you know, 45, 50 years, um, and that there would be a win-win. Uh, wouldn't be perfect. Wouldn't be Pro-lifers wouldn't be perfectly happy. Pro-choicers wouldn't be perfectly happy, but it would be a reasonable uh, plausible compromise, but that's not even what Lindsey Graham tried. Bill, the last point, <clears throat> the last point I'll make, and then I'm going to shut up, is the political problem of what he did. Right? Um, it's it's a political problem on two levels. First, as you know, part of what elections are about are about jockeying to decide what the election's about. If the election is about, if on election day the election is about the price of gas or the price of groceries, then Democrats lose. If on election day, the number one thing in voters' minds is abortion, then Republicans lose. That's my assumption right now based on polling, okay? And so what Lindsey Graham did was, and I'm not saying that Dobbs ever receded from the national spotlight, but he has injected it back into the political discussion. And he did it at a very inopportune time. I mean, he did it on a day when, you know, economic numbers that were very bad for Joe Biden came out. And Lindsey Graham effectively, because of the timing, threw him a lifeline. Yeah, you know, Graham is such a confounding figure to me. I mean, I mean, to others, he's just he's just a straight conservative and I uh, and everything that's seemingly not conservative is all performative nonsense. So that explains everything with Graham. Uh, and I just think Graham is much more confusing than that, uh, because you know. And I think I think it was it's in Obama's memoir that he talked about Graham as uh, sort of having this side of him where he plays the self-aware conservative who knows uh, their their flaws and when they go too far and. And therefore, can ingratiate himself with you know, uh, you know, liberalish media types. Um, 
And there definitely was a time when he he could speak that language. He could he he'd go on and he did. You went on David Axelrod's podcast, you know, in twenty I think it was 2016, 2015, 2016, and was being very critical of Trump and 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 Trump voters and then how we can't be bigots, all that kind of thing. Like like he knows how that side of society talks and thinks. Uh, and I mean, I'm and I'm just speculating here, but. My sense is he's not having those conversations anymore. He's not exposed to the liberal side of America as much anymore. Um, and I think like, if, he, if he had more awareness of the current political moment, I think he would say, well, you just said, we should be talking about inflation, Republicans. We need, to, we need, this, we need this midterm to be about Biden's economic record in office and not about these culture war distractions, which don't which are not working in our favor. So let's find a way to talk about how we're going to you know, deal with the inflation beast. Uh, and my only the only conclusion I can draw is he was I, and I see this argument on the right a lot. Uh, well, sure. You know, you know, overturning Roe is tricky for us, but these Democrats they just want abortion on demand, and that's not popular. 15 weeks, that's popular. So if we can draw a contrast between our popular middle-of-the-road position and their extreme position, we can turn this issue around and make it a, a plus for us. And I think that is a, uh, at best, outdated reading of the poll numbers because you're in a world where Republicans are the culture war aggressors on this issue. Uh, so you, you you could say all day long about 15 weeks, it's right into the surface. Yeah, maybe you're 15, 15 weeks today, but what about tomorrow? Like you keep moving, you're continuing moving this goalpost, you know, down, down the field. Uh, and I'm not even focused on what the Democratic position is because I'm mad about what you Republicans just did and are currently doing at the state level. Um, so by keeping abortion in the spotlight, you're keeping the focus on what Republicans are up to. Yeah. Because they're the look, ones that did the aggressive move this, this year. I mean, look, I, I think it is possible to change perceptions about the issue. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen between now and November. Like, that dog won't hunt. You have to accept reality for now, politically speaking— um, if you're talking about abortion, Republicans are losing. If you're talking about inflation, Republicans are winning. That is a reality. Uh, again, I, I believe it's possible to change perceptions over time. That's great work for activists to do. I think it's being undermined by um, Republicans who, uh, you know, the effort to actually win hearts and minds back to the pro-life cause is being undermined by, I think, Republicans who are staking out extreme positions. And I wonder if that's what Lindsey Graham thought maybe he was doing. You know, we just had this national conservatism conference down in Miami last week. And the common theme among um, nationalist conservatives is essentially common good conservatism. Like they want to impose their views on the world. They want to use the power of government to impose their, in some cases, often cases, Christian views on others. So rather than having kind of a pluralistic society where we just hold up the rules, um, they they actually want to uh, encourage, 
encourage is is, is they, they want to coerce people to do what they want them to do. Now, to some degree, government always does that. But this is a much, I think, very heavy handed now, thing. You had a very tough column recently where you took DeSantis and Blake Masters to task for uh, essentially having that worldview and trying to use government to impose their views on everything else and everybody else and being another uh, an evolution in Trump style authoritarianism. I mean, I don't think I'm putting words in your mouth here, right? No, it's true. I mean, I, I think the danger is that this could be the next step of Trumpism, that, that you would have um, younger, smarter, weirder, more ideologically committed right-wing authoritarians take over after Trump. I mean, look, there are people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert who are sort of clowns. I mean, I think they're dangerous, but... Um, but then there are these sort of Peter Thiel type candidates, and I'll and I'll, I'll lump in DeSantis into that mix, uh, partly because Thiel praised DeSantis at the conference. That are are, are smarter, and, um, and and they seem to have, like in the case of Blake Masters especially, and I would say the same thing with uh, J.D. Vance. This um, this worldview that that is not wedded to liberal democracy, but wants to use the coercive powers of government to advance and to push their political agenda um, and and to push, you know, corporations and companies into uh, playing ball and doing what they want them to do. It, it really goes against, it, it very much is a contrast with Reagan conservatism. Um, and I wonder if Lindsey Graham might have been up to that. Like, is it possible? No, the irony is Lindsey Graham ended up getting beat up by Jesse Waters and Charlie Kirk yesterday. They thought this was a huge mistake. But in Lindsey Graham's mind, I wonder if he thought he was pandering to the right, like by by having this uh, this 15 week ban. Um, so again, I, I, if his goal was to actually do something, they should have tried. He should have had a bipartisan plan. That was 15 weeks across the board uh, as a compromise. I, I want to get back to this to DeSantis and Masters a bit. I, I don't think it was all that long ago when you seemed fairly comfortable with a DeSantis-led Republican Party over a Trump-led Republican Party. I mean, maybe I would agree with everything with DeSantis, but you know, he'd be more in line with traditional Republicanism, and I can accept that. It sounds like if DeSantis was the nominee, maybe you would still not vote the same way you didn't vote for, for, for Trump because you can't abide by the authoritarianism. Is that, am I taking you too far here? Well, let me explain because it's a nuanced thing. So first of all, um, I, I, so I have been arguing that, that, that we should not conflate normal Republicans and normal conservatives with MAGA semi-fascism, as Joe Biden says, right? So, so I've been critical of, of attempts to look at things that Ron DeSantis said or did 15 years ago when he was a mm -hmm. Tea Party congressman and extrapolate from that um, that, uh, that he has always been uh, this authoritarian 
And because I think the goal of that project, there, David Korn, I haven't read his book, but I mean, the, David Korn uh, recently came out with a book that basically says Republicans have always been, you know, go back to Eisenhower. He was bad, too. You know, <laughs> they were all it, it's all been. And so Trump, there's a theory that Trump was the logical conclusion. Right. And the entire conservative project is so I reject that. And so I have um, criticized people who have tried to uh, use DeSantis, what he said 11, 12, 13 years ago, uh, to make that point. Um, the other thing that I've said is that I think DeSantis is the only chance Republicans now have other than Trump. Like, I just, I don't think anyone else can win the Republican nomination except Ron DeSantis. It's either Trump or DeSantis. Like, I don't think Nikki Haley can do it. I don't think Ted Cruz can do it. I don't think Larry Hogan can do it. I don't think Liz Cheney can do it. And so given that option, you've got two choices. One choice is Donald Trump. Now, we know what Donald Trump is capable of. We know what Donald Trump has done in the past. And as David Frum told me, the, vo the velociraptors will figure out how to turn the doorknob if there's a second administration. In other words, Trump has learned. He has learned from his first mm -hmm. bite at the apple how to staff an administration with loyalists. Uh, and so it's not Ron DeSantis. I'm sorry. It's not Donald Trump versus Jesus Christ or Donald Trump versus George Washington, even. It's it's Donald Trump versus yeah. Ron DeSantis. So, so you, you still think DeSantis is marginally better than Trump? At this point, if I had the choice, I would go with Ron DeSantis. And that is because I know who Donald Trump is. I know what he is capable of. And I and and I know that the Republic I know what the Republican Party is capable of. They I will not, the, the Republican Party will not reject Donald Trump. They will not disavow Donald Trump. What they might do is move past Donald Trump. And then, he, Bill, here's here comes the real question. Is Ron DeSantis a normal Republican who under a normal world would be like Ted Cruz, but he sort of playing the populist authoritarian. I mean, do we want, do we want to, to, to go on that kind of assumption after all we've seen with Trump? I mean, I'm not, I'm not. DeSantis no. is doing authoritarian things as governor. Why would he not do authoritarian things as president? I'm not. Do you think I'm comfortable with it? <laughs> this is two. These are two. This is eight. Well, I was going to say two choices. It is two options. This is, we have a choice. It's, it's, if you're a Republican in the Republican primary, I'm operating under the assumption your choice is either to vote for DeSantis or Trump. And what I'm saying is if the election were today, I go DeSantis. I think you should be on the Pence bandwagon. Pence is your kind of guy. You know, your Pence I, There's something I like about Pence, but do you think, you probably, I mean, you do think he has a chance, right? I think a chance. I mean, look, I'm not saying he's, I'm not saying he's the front runner by any stretch. Obviously, polling doesn't doesn't show that. Um, but I can't foresee what happens in the 2023 phase of things. Do do Trump and DeSantis, you know, rip each other to shreds, and Pence runs up the middle somehow? I mean, you, you don't know how these dynamics are going to play out. And um, so, you know, Pence did an interview with Real Clear Politics, did not get a ton of attention. But you know, I mean, what's weird about the Graham thing? is that it sent Republicans, it shattered Republicans. It, it, and they went in totally different directions with it. it. There was, it's weird that he went rogue on it. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, Mitch, I'm Mitch, me Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell came out and said, uh, 
Well, he basically said this was a bad idea. I'm par- <laughs> right, they're, they're, that our conference wants us to be yeah. dealt with by the state. So you I had think a bunch Ru- of Rubio supports states. it, I think. Rubio's behind it, I, I think. Yeah, I think Rubio, one of the few. And I, and I actually saw the North Dakota Senator Kramer. He, he said, well, this might gin up our base. Like, there's some people who are not. I mean, Rubio is kind of like you, super pro-life, but take what he takes what he can get. So he was supporting on those grounds. Kramer was making the political argument. This, this will be good for us. We need, yeah. our, we need our base to get excited about something again. Thinking a whole bunch of other people talking about how this is bad politics. Um, and by the I way, going know. back to my my just disappointment at Marco Rubio, the best pro-life speech I've ever heard. I was in the room when Marco Rubio spoke as Susan B. Anthony list dinner and gave one of you know, one of the best speeches I've ever heard and definitely the best pro-life speech. And what potential? Anyway, and common, the common, Susan B. Anthony common folks. Theme. I mean, it seems like Graham was talking to the Susan B. Anthony folks because they went right out there and and backed it. Because they'd be the kind of people who you might think would say anything that's not total ban on abortion is is a joke. You're still going to have like tons of abortions at 15, at 15 weeks. But they were giving Graham cover, so he made he made them happy. Uh, so it's weird that there wasn't a agreed upon game plan at the top of the party. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, you're in the, you're supposed Republicans in, in disarray moment, but here, so Pence comes out in the midst of that disarray telling real clear politics, quote, I welcome any and all efforts to advance the cause of life in state capitals or in the nation's capital. You know, something we, we talked previously was Pence really talking about a national ban with what he said before. He's basically sitting there like, I'll, I'll take whatever, state, federal, I'm all in. And even when it said, it's important that Republicans and conservatives resolved, we will not shrink from the fight. And this is more important than any short-term politics. So, yeah. And so I, you know, I, I agree with that. I mean, it, it really is. And, and that's why, that is why I, uh, if, if Dobbs meant Republicans lost the House and the Senate, well, it's not like these guys are great anyway, but <laughs> it's not like these are great Republicans, great conservatives anyway. But I look that that's why we lift all these weights. That's why we play the game. Like this, you're trying to achieve something, and we did it. But that doesn't mean you have to be stupid afterwards. And I think that's that's, that's, really- that's why you're that's why in your heart of hearts, Matt, you're a Mike Pence guy. This is the Reagan look. Republican with the Reagan foreign policy, deeply committed to being pro-life. Committed to liberal democracy would not bend when it, when Trump was trying to get him to uh, administer a coup. You should if, be cheering for Pence, Matt. If I thought it was plausible, I would be. I mean, I would be very happy if we ended up with a Mike Pence presidency or a Mike Pence uh, Republican nomination. I just I think the odds of that with this in this environment with this base. The odds of that are are minuscule. I mean, I know, I know it's, you can go, it's you can early. Go it's early. I know it's early. I know it's early. I know you're weary. Um, <laughs> and then you can talk all you want about the history of vice presidents, but this is a different world. Donald oh, Trump. It, I mean, obviously, if Trump, sorry, if Trump's running. Yeah. The my old vice president rule gets thrown out the window because that doesn't usually happen. The vice president runs against the president. Yeah. Um, I want to stay in DeSantis for a couple of things, though. I, yeah. mean, I, 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 I hate to obsess about him, but he's he was in the news. Uh, one thing I want to say is that I, I wrote a piece for Real Clear Politics looking at governors in general 
And when do you know that an incumbent governor is in trouble? Um, because I, 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 I gave my gut opinion several weeks back. You know, maybe DeSantis, you, you shouldn't assume he's a lock. He's doing all these crazy things. It's still a purple state. Um, give Charlie Crist a shot. Um, and then I saw some polls where, you know, Chris was like three, four points behind. And that's closer than Stacey Abrams. That's closer than Beto O'Rourke. You know, plenty of people have been, you know, that far behind and made up that ground uh, by election day. And I still, I mean, I mean, you can make up four points. That's possible. So in that respect, you can't count Chris out just yet. Uh, but then I saw there's a guy named Tom uh, Bonnier who's pretty active on Twitter. He's, he, he's a Democratic strategist, has his own company. And he had a tweet uh, that, you know, Kemp was below uh, uh, below 50% in the polls. So even though he was leading, that was danger zone for an incumbent. And, and so I started, is that really danger zone? You know, what, what, what's, the, what's the track record here? That's so how I was going back. No, and, and number one, there are a whole bunch of incumbent governors right now below 50%, Democrat and Republican. You know, they're not all on close races. Some, you know, like Mike DeWine, I think, is below, it's like at 49, but he's like 15 points ahead of, you know, of the Democratic challenger. Um, but is he, is he in trouble because he's under 50? And so uh, actually 538, Nate Silver looked at this 12 years ago uh, and argued that being under 50 was not in and of itself a problem. Uh, it's not the case based on, I think he went back 10 years or so uh, and found plenty of people at under 50 still win. Uh, not the case that undecided to all break to the challenger. Uh, what's more important is the margin, not the level for the incumbent. So if, you, if you're under 50, but you're leading, you got a very good chance. I think it was like 80% chance of still winning in the data that he looked at. So then I looked at just governors after 2010, um, and there were 20 cases of people at the end of the campaign in real clear politics averages being under 50, uh, and 18 out of the 20 still won. Uh, so you only had two cases of people who held leads really had leads at all, but also, but also were under 50 and lost. And that's Matt Bevin in Kentucky, 2019, and Pat Quinn in Illinois, 2014. Um, and keep in mind, very few incumbents lose, period. You know, I think it was six, seven, or nine total uh, that had lost at all. Uh, and uh, generally speaking, they were like under 46, 47. Um, Sometimes with small deficits, sometimes with larger deficits. Um, so being like forty-eight to fifty with a lead, you're gonna you're probably gonna be in very good shape. Now Bevin is the person in the past twelve years, from twenty ten to twenty twenty, who had the biggest lead and still lost, two point five percentage points. So I decree the Bevin line. So if you're above 2.5 and you're an incumbent it's governor, it's like the Men the Mendoza parallel. Mendoza line, that's right. That's diagonal. Right. Um, uh, now, so so as it stands with DeSantis, I think he's roughly I, I feel where he is in the averages right now. Um, it might be more than four. 
but I think he's I think it was round four. Um, so I can't say today that DeSantis is in trouble. Um, now, I think it's possible. I mean, Chris could knock him below 2.5 in a month's time. And like that movement has happened in history. Now, granted, their war chest, like DeSantis has like over $100 million. And Chris is like switching for pennies in his couch. So I'm not saying it's 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 probable that that's going to happen, but I'd still keep an eye on it to see if that movement can occur. Uh, but as it stands, I wouldn't feel good about the Sanders losing or Kemp losing or Abbott losing because they are, you know, even they're better margins than than the Sanders does. Now we got so I know I've talked for a long time. We got another DeSantis uh, uh, development. In that he's trying to copy Greg Abbott in Texas and do the I'm going to send my illegal immigrants to your liberal town. In this case, Martha's Vineyard. So you have about 48 undocumented immigrants. I think I think all from Venezuela uh, that he dropped off at Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and I, I I just don't get the logic here. I understand it's sort of fun for conservatives. Ha ha! I've trolled the liberals. But liberals are like, okay, let's go find these people jobs and get them integrated in our community. Like, it doesn't upset them. It does sometimes, though. I think that, that's been the response in Martha's Vineyard. But when it's happened in other places like Washington, D.C. and New York, um, I've seen liberals come out and talk about how, like, this is so uncool because it is overwhelming our system and our government is being overwhelmed. And, it, and, and that proves the point. That proves the point that if you're a border state like Texas and uh, you want to have tough immigration rules and build the wall and all that, and people say that you're uncompassionate, um, and then you give these other states a taste of their own medicine and you hear them talk about how they're being overwhelmed and they just don't have the infrastructure to handle or to process uh, these immigrants. I mean, I think it I think it does. Look, no, the move itself temperamentally goes, it cuts against my style and it seems very jerky. Um, in fact, uh, Mark Caputo, I think said, um, that it was, uh, I'll, re I'll read you what he said about take, it was kind of taking a page from, uh, Saul Alinsky, um, the rules for radicals. If I can get my, my phone to work here. Um, let's see. Yeah. He said, the Abbott DeSantis program moving undocumented migrants to Democrat-controlled sanctuary cities is rooted in two of Alinsky's rules for radicals. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules, and a good tactic is one your people enjoy. Yeah, so, but I, I, I don't, but it is already the case that in liberal cities, sanctuary cities, uh, that you help immigrants integrate into their local communities. That's not offensive to them. So it's not a case where getting the enemy to live to their own rules, like this is, this is not a challenge for pro-immigrant uh, progressives. Uh, I grant the second Alinsky point, a good tactic is one your people enjoy. I think, I think there is a joy to it. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Um, but it's not, it's one thing, like, I, I feel like conservatives think like you're going to send these immigrants into New York city and DC and Martha's Vineyard 
and they're going to bring crime and rape and they're going to show how awful this is. And all that happens is like, all right, they're just going to, you know, get get jobs and like all the other immigrants that are already doing that around here. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I haven't had time to fully look at this, but I mean, here's like one headline um, from the Texas Tribune, which I think is a maybe a center left publication. Yeah. Washington, D.C. mayor declares public health emergency over Texas migrant busing. Um, I'm sure I can find uh, quotes about how this is overwhelming them and yada, yada, yada. I just think it's giving them a taste of their own. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you are like doing this in the most obnoxious way possible. This is not the normal process. Sure. But when migrants, you know, when when caravans and or, I mean, I'm sure Texas particularly is being and maybe Arizona is is deals with it's not just one migrant necessarily coming across the border at a time. Um, and so if they're sending buses or in this case in Martha's Vineyard plane loads, I mean, that's probably like every day along the Rio Grande. I don't know. It depends how much Fox you watch. It's also it's also I mean, but that's a federal concern, not a state concern. I mean, the federal government that, that strained by processing whenever there's a surge of of refugees uh, uh and that's a that's definitely a challenging problem that federal governments have had for a long time. Uh, but I'm just I, saying, I, I guess all I would say is that there's a lot of stuff that Republicans are doing these days, which strikes me as not only performative, but also very like uncompassionate and jerky. And my initial when I heard about this happening, you know, it's been going on now for quite a while. My first response was like, oh, here they go again. This is this is Republicans being idiots, being jerks, like pulling stunts um, and and it could hurt people. And then I started seeing the response from Democrats in like New York and Washington, D.C. And that's when it hit me that like, ah, this is actually a telling move that there is a method to the met. This isn't just, you know, what is the line about me? The, the point is being cruel or cruelness is the point. This actually has a point. This makes a a political statement. Um, so, uh, you don't think this is the thing that's going to get DeSantis into trouble with? <laughs> I think this helps DeSantis. Well, I'm, I'm curious if I mean, I mean, again, it's hard to know again what's the median voter in Florida think at this point. You know, is this a purple state or is this a red state? Um, I mean, there are a lot of Latinos in Florida. I mean, these, these are a lot of them. Are vote, a lot of them vote Republican. There are a lot of Venezuelans and Cubans who are Republicans, and and, well, and, right. you know what? and, so, and they so like and they, they like Donald Trump more. <laughs> I think they like Donald Trump more than. But Mitt will Romney. they like Venezuelans fleeing a socialist Venezuela being treated like they're dirty? And be truly political politics and I ship wish, somewhere else. I wish someone would fly me to Martha's Vineyard. I mean, is well, that no, the, is, I, I don't think it's all that terrible for is that the worst thing in the world once they get integrated there? Is that but, the worst but, thing that could happen to you is to be sent to Martha's Vineyard? But will will conservative anti-socialist Venezuelans and Cubans in Florida see this as other conservatives see the way Texas treats Mexican? migrants uh that i think might be more of an unknown here uh and, and i and i would at least bet that charlie chris is going to try to 
turn this into something negative for him and try to appeal to the Venezuelan community in Florida saying he's treating, you know, your community like like they're bad. And I, I, I may even go to how many of you were undocumented who were welcomed in Florida uh, before DeSantis came along? I mean, there's potential for Chris to turn this into his favor, but I got, I got to see how well he tries to play it. Yeah, there's potential, but it doesn't seem like that worked. It seems like those, what you're saying now are rules that I would have assumed would be true seven years ago, but it doesn't seem like it has been effective or that it's worked in the Trump era. And we're still in the Trump era, I hasten to say. Um, I want to talk about one other thing on a totally different topic just for a little bit. We should we should wrap soon. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot last week about Fetterman uh, and his debate, Kabuki, which has, we've seen some movement on just overnight that uh, there's agreement to do one debate, but they're still futzing over the particulars and logistics and how much can Fetterman be accommodated and how long should the debate be. Well, we need to, we need to go you know, 30 minutes on Fetterman again. Uh, also in the past week, in Arizona, the governor's race there, the Democrat Katie Hobbs said flat out, I'm not going to debate Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake being, you know, uber Trumper. Uh, for, but Carrie Lake is a longtime newscaster. Yeah. Uh, She's in, in Arizona TV. She is, Carrie Lake is a incredibly good communicator. And the if you've ever tried to fight a crazy person, uh, it's super dangerous. Um, and so they have more strength somehow. And so um, I understand. I think the Democrat here is, is ducking the debate because, honestly, I'd be afraid to debate Carrie Lake if I was her. You know, many, many years ago, like when I was a kid and I, I'm, you know, I used to take Taekwondo. And I remember when you spar, if you spar someone else who goes to a dojo, it's like, you know what they're going to do and they know what you're going to do. The hardest person to to fight was like someone off the street. Someone shows up, they you know they're in their jogging pants, they're not even in the gi. You have no idea what they're going to do. It's 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 it, it's unorthodox. And uh and I think that that uh Carrie Lake would and and the other thing too is if someone is this happened with Donald Trump. I mean, when Republicans would try to debate Donald Trump and he would bring up something that wasn't even true and he would just announce it as if as if it was like gospel truth. And then you're thinking, well, maybe I missed that. You know, um, I think that happened to Mitt Romney actually debating Obama, not to compare Obama to Carrie Lake. But when, when someone drops new information on you, there's a sense that like, oh, well, maybe I missed that. And 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 I, so I understand. I, I But the funny thing is, this is the second Democrat now, right, that is that is trying to avoid <laughs> debating their Republican. Well, wait, wait. well Fetterman is essentially saying, I will debate. Uh, he just wants to do it under certain conditions. Hobbs is the first one person that I've seen. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe anyone has done this before and said, I am not going to debate a conspiracy theorist. I'm just not going to do it. I think it's wrong. Uh, so she's saying, I'll do town halls. I will do a town hall format, ask me anything, but I'm on the stage and then she's on the stage. We're not on the stage together. Uh, so it's a, in the averages, 
Hobbs is ahead of Lake by a little bit, like one, two points. Um, she's not ahead in every single poll. So she's, you, she's not a runaway front runner. It's a genuinely close race. Uh, and so this is a real test of the proposition. Do you need to debate to convince swing voters to vote for you? Well, they will. I mean, I've, you already have the late campaign and some of the local columnists in Arizona saying, you know, Katie Hobbs is running scared, too scared yeah. to debate, not up to the task. Uh, is is the risk of that so much that you should debate, even though you might not be the best matchup with that person? I mean, like, Katie Hobbs, to my, I mean, I'm not a huge Katie Hobbs uh, expert. What I've seen, like, yeah, she's like, uh, sh she's not as polished on the stump as Lake is. She's not like a, you know, a blubbering mess. Yeah. But she's just more like a normal human being and not like a, you know, a super crisp yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, as uh, a as a journalist, I'm rooting for the story. I think that they should debate. And I think the public has a right to hear from these people. Um, but if I put on my Republican or if I put on my political strategist hat, I understand it. I understand. I think she is. I think she is afraid. And, and so you, so you, you, and you, you, you do you think she can win? Do you think she can win? And I'll say if she does win. It's going to be so much easier for people on either side of the fence to say, you know what? I don't need to do it. Voters don't care. Um, I think that, I think that it's a factor that it's a factor, but you, it's a, a, a cost benefit analysis. And I don't think I've never heard a person say I was going to vote for him, but he wouldn't debate or mm -hmm. I can't vote for him because he didn't debate. What's your biggest issue? What's the number one concern? Politicians debating. Like, I've never heard that in my life. <laughs> no, again, I'm for more debate. I think the more, more debates are good, by and large, uh, especially in general elections, uh, the public, you know, all that stuff. Um, but putting my political strategist hat on, if you're up by a point or two and you're going up against someone who is uh, unconventional and yet simultaneously charismatic, I don't know if a lot of good could come from it, you know. Uh, I mean, I would. If I'm I would Katie still, Hobbs, I, I'm thinking I would, I'll take my chances at running out the clock. I'll say that. I'll say what I said. I, I, I have to go after this. I mean, I'm a little of two different minds on the subject. I mean, on one hand, I understand from the campaigns from a campaign perspective. I mean, you might think debating is no big deal. Debate prep takes a lot of time. You don't just walk into a debate room. You got to you think about every possible question. You were and you rehearse your answers. You got to make sure you got that answer. You know, locked down in, in ninety seconds, so you're not you know searching for your words. Uh, it takes a lot of time and energy, and that's time that you're not doing something else. Yeah, uh, and you're doing it to prepare for an event where you're sharing the spotlight with your opponent, uh, and ninety nine percent of the time. It makes no difference whatsoever in the outcome. It's a, it's effectively a draw. The polls don't move and you go about your business. But you've lost time that you could have used for your own campaigning on your own terms. So you all things being equal, if a campaign can conclude, you know what, I don't, I don't have to do this. It's no, it's no loss to skip this. You're going to skip it. Uh, so I understand that argument. I I would still lean towards if I was like in Katie Hobbs in her circle. You know what? 
debates don't matter. You know, as long as you don't like totally screw up and say something really ridiculous. Yeah. No one's going to care. Just do it. Take your lumps, shrug it off and move on. You let this just do like the minimum amount of prep for it so we don't embarrass ourselves. And just take take that talking one off the table that some of you are running scared and then let's get on to business. That's kind of where I would lean with it. Uh, but I do get why it's a tricky decision. I, I I agree. It's a tough choice because it looking weak and looking afraid is not a good look. Um All right. I do have to, I do have to wrap, but yeah. anything you got a plug? I have a quick plug. Uh, our, our, our good friend David Petruja is out with a brand new book this week. It's called Roosevelt Sweeps Nation. It's right up your alley, Bill. It's about the 1936 campaign. Um, highly recommend it. David is a great guy. Order your copy today, Roosevelt Sweeps Nation. And check out the podcast. I interviewed him about it at Matt Lewis and the News on iTunes. All right, and check out that real clear politics piece of mine about governor and coming governors. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's all yeah. I got for right now. We'll see you back here where we're not afraid to debate <laughs> in the DMZ next week. Thanks, Bill. Take care.